in a study in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4. And uh, to get us thinking about the book of Romans today, we're going to think about this idea of gaining and losing trust. Have you ever gained trust or lost trust? And how important that is? So I don't know about your household, but we have almost every day of the week is different in terms of our schedule. We have a different schedule Monday, then we do Tuesday, then we do Wednesday. And so in that schedule and going, I've got currently three kids at home, one's off at college, so three at home. There's different days when either my wife or I are driving or picking up. And so Wednesday is my day to pick up TT, my eighth grader. He's out at uh, Meridian's MP3 program, so it meets on the campus of Meridian High School. So Wednesday afternoon is my day. He was there all last year, all this year, and so I'd pick him up Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday. I'd pick him up. So one one day, oh, a couple months ago, I'm working away on a Wednesday. I'm at my desk. Things are just happening. I'm studying. Uh, the sermon's coming together. Work's getting done, and my phone rings, and it's got TT's name on there. Like, hey, TT. He's like, hi, Dad. Where are you? And I was a little bit like, what do you mean, where am I? I'm sitting at my desk doing my work. What are you asking? What do you not ask me where I am, right? I'm where I'm supposed to be. So I was just kind of a little bit like, oh, I'm at my desk. What's what, you know? He's like, are you forgetting something? I'm like, well, not really. I'm doing my work. I'm at my desk. You're interrupting me. What's the deal? And he's like, "Uh, you're supposed to pick me up 15 minutes ago. And then the flood of realization Oh, oh, it's Wednesday. I have children. I'm supposed to get the children. So rush out there. Thankfully, uh, uh, Rebecca Montgomery teaches out there. So she rescued T.T. He could go into her classroom and, and uh, maybe she covered for me. I don't know. But, uh, but ever since on Wednesday, T.T. has a little conversation with me. Dad, you're not going to forget me again, are you? I've been there every Wednesday for a year and a half. I miss one, one Wednesday, and that's it. He's got to remind me. He's got to, don't forget, just one time I forgot. It was really just a test. I didn't forget. I was just seeing if you remembered. So, Right? So I, you just lost trust just like that. I forget one time, and well, I'm not trustworthy, Right? And so we, we need good reasons to trust somebody, right? I need to show up week after week so that he will believe that I'm really going to come through, right? And you probably have various people in your life that have given you reasons to trust them and reasons to not trust them, right? If someone says, hey, I'll be there 2 o'clock, we'll meet for coffee, and they're there at 2 o'clock, and you're like, yep, they just come through. And there's other people you say, hey, yeah, I'm going to do that thing, and Wait, we, that was today, All right? And so, you, you know, you just start to learn. Well, who, who's someone I can trust? Who comes through? Who isn't? We have reasons to trust people. And a lot of that trust is earned over faithful following through over time. So how about God? Do we have reasons to trust God? Do we have a reason to trust God? That he's going to come through over and over. And so that when he says, do this or believe this, we say, okay, I will do that. Or I will believe that because you have come through time after time. God definitely would not forget to pick you up from school. So he has a much greater reason. But we're going to see more reasons. Because sometimes 
We have things in our life that make it hard to trust God, don't we? Well, why did this circumstance happen? And why didn't that change? And why did I go through this? So there's a, it's not so easy all the time. So here's what we're going to see. Here's the main point today. That we receive God's promises by faith, and there's good reasons for it. We receive God's promises by faith. So everything that we receive from God is by trusting him. We're going to see it's not by earning it, by trusting him. And there's good reasons for it. There's good reasons for trusting him. There's good reasons for putting our faith in God that, that he's going to show us. So that's what we're going to see in here in the study of Romans. So just, this is the foundational opening to the book of Romans, just catching us up to where we've been. Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He says, I'm not ashamed, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's what we just celebrated, that the gospel, that Jesus' death for sinners and resurrection, that's the power of salvation to everyone who believes in it. Everyone who believes and trusts that, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So this whole book of Romans is Paul's explanation of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and how we live by faith, trusting the gospel, receiving God's righteousness as a gift. That's what it's about, faith. So this question comes up. We've been studying along in this book, and um, the Bible is written largely to Jewish, Jewish people and by Jewish people. But the gospel's for Jews and Gentiles. We just read that. So a lot of when you're reading the Bible, you'll come across things that are addressing Jews and Gentiles. And why do we need to know that? Well, God worked through this nation, the Jewish nation, to bring us Jesus. And so salvation comes through Jesus, the Jew. And so there's this continual arguments going back and forth in the Bible that we need to understand that. And so when Paul is describing, Paul is Jewish, describing to both Jews and Gentiles in Rome how you believe in God, how you have faith, the Jews were objecting, or he's inserting their objection, saying, but wait, don't we need to obey the law? Don't we need to do what Moses told us? Don't we receive God's blessings by obeying the law and doing what he says? And then they would throw out that, what about Abraham? Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. They would say, look, our father Abraham, the one God called, he was faithful. And so God blessed him. He didn't say he had faith. He said he he was faithful. He did what God told him to do. Therefore, he was blessed. And that's how we get blessed. And so Paul's saying, no, that is not the gospel. The gospel is about faith. So the argument is, well, what about Abraham? He was faithful. He obeyed the law. We got to be like him. And Paul says, no, Abraham is the father of faith. That's that's what we've been seeing here in this chapter four, that Abraham was blessed by God because he believed God and trusted God. And that's how he received God's promises. Not that he obeyed and did what God said and therefore earned God's favor He received it by faith. So he's telling us that Abraham is the father of faith. So that's the backdrop to the section we're going to read, which is chapter 4. We're going to do verses 13 
to the end of the chapter, verse 25. 13 to 25. So we'll read through that and then come back and, and look at these reasons for faith here. Romans 4, 13 to 25. He says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For if the law, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. So that's our passage we're going to cover. The first point we're going to see here is that we're going to see the difference between law and faith. And what's the difference? What are we talking about? When we're talking about law, we're talking about obeying God's law, obeying the Ten Commandments, obeying the Mosaic Law. We're not talking about the law of the state of Washington or something. That's, that's what it's talking about, the law. And the idea, you could almost insert religious obedience. What's the difference between being religious and obeying things versus having faith? What's the difference? So if we look there in verse 13, he says, For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This is, happens in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, that God came along to a man named Abraham, who at that time was 75 years old. His wife was 65 years old. They had no children. God came up to him and said, Abraham, you're my guy. I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring and, uh, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. That's Genesis 12. You get to Genesis 15, and God says it again. Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world. You're going to go look at the stars. Your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars. And Abraham says, you know, that's great, but I have no kids. That's kind of a problem, right? I can't be the father of many nations when I'm the father of zero. And God says, you know, yep, I'm going to give you a kid. Like, I know, I know you don't have one now, but I'm going to give you one. That's the promise that through your offspring, the world will be blessed. And what we're tracing is the offspring of Abraham comes all the way down to Jesus. 
The whole world is blessed through Jesus. But he's saying that promise to Abraham that he'd be in the heir of the world did not come through the law. God did not walk up to Abraham and say, listen, do this, obey this, go over here. And if you do a really nice job, then I will give you an offspring and he'll be the heir. He just said it. Boop. Here it is. Your offspring. It's going to be numerous of the stars. You're going to bless the whole world. Period. And Abraham's response was, I believe you. That's what he's saying. The promise to Abraham came not because he did a bunch of stuff, but because he believed God. He said, for if it's the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. You can't have both. He's saying, if you're going to obey God's law and do everything he says, then there's no reason to have faith. You just check the list. Did I do it today? Did I do it today? Did I do it today? Did I do what he said? Did I do it today? Okay, the list is checked give me what's owed. He's saying, well, that's not faith, and that's not a promise. That's a contract. You do this, I do that. So he's saying it it can't be both. He says, for the law brings wrath. This is the problem with the law. God gives a law, and it doesn't give us a checklist that we can accomplish. The law is given to say, you are hopeless. You can't complete, you cannot keep the Ten Commandments your whole life. You probably can't even keep two of them let alone 10 of them. I think the law draws the line in the sand. The law brings wrath. Here it is. Here's God's standard of perfection. We all fail. We all fall short of it. That was all of what chapter 3 was about. If there's no law, there's no transgression, right? If there's no rules, right? This is what a lot of times you think when the substitute comes to teach. Well, there's no law in here. Turns out they can leave very detailed notes and the principals see all that and turns out there is a law, but you think there's no law, so you think you can do whatever you want. So that's the point. He's saying the law brings wrath. The law does not bring salvation. The law does not bring the promises of God. The law shut, draws a line in the sand. We fall short. He's saying that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace... And be guaranteed to all his offspring. He's saying it's always been about faith. That faith is how everyone accesses God. He says, so the promise can rest on grace. He says, I'm just simply going to do this because I'm going to do it. It's a gracious gift. I'm promising it to you. Not because you've earned it. I'm just giving it to you. He says, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. We enter God's promises through the same faith that Abraham had. He believed God. We believe that Jesus is God's son. We believe these promises. He's the father of us all. So it's really, it's, it's really the, they're just a collision. This is from John Stott in his commentary, The Message of Romans. He just puts this very nicely, so I'm going to quote it here for you. He says, Law and promise belong to different categories of thought, which are incompatible. Law language, you shall, demands our obedience. But promise language, I will, demands our faith. What God said to Abraham was not, obey this law and I will bless you, but I will bless you, believe my promise. So these are in, this is what Paul's getting at here, right? He's saying Abraham did not receive promises because he said, you shall do this. Because God said, I will give you an heir. I will make you the father of many nations. And Abraham said, okay, I believe you. All right? 
It's the difference between saying, hey, if you wash my car, you earn money. That's law, right? You do this, I'll give you this, versus I'm just going to give you money, right? Like, oh, next week I'll give you money. Okay, I believe you. That is very different between earning something and just being given something and you believe in the promise. So that's, that's where the, the, that whole thing, the difference between law and grace is one is a work that you do and you're owed something. The other one is a promise that is made based on God's gracious gift and we just believe him. Law avoids the promise. It's not a promise. You owe me, right? But faith receives the gracious, gracious promise, Right? You can't see that your sins are forgiven in Christ. We believe that they are. And so it ha- God says, you believe, I will forgive. You believe that I died for you, it, we, we receive it by grace. So that's the difference. Law voids it out, faith receives it. So, it said we receive God's promises by faith. That's, we just receive, we don't earn it. You don't receive God's promises by showing up here every week and looking the part and wearing the right clothes. We just simply say, I believe you. I believe that your death on my behalf paid the price for my sin. I want to receive that gift of new life by grace. And so we just believe him. We receive God's promises by faith. That's the point he's making. That's the point he said Abraham was making. And then this whole idea that can we really trust God? The second line I put here, there's good reasons for it. There's a good reason to believe God, to receive his promise. That's the second part here, the reasons for faith. Why should we trust you? Why should we believe you? Why should we accept that word? That's what we get in verse 17. He says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, and here he gives two reasons who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. How can you trust God? What reason do you have to trust God? He says, well, here's two. God gives life to the dead. Jesus was in that tomb for three days, and he rose him back to life. Jesus, when he walked the earth, also raised the dead on numerous occasions. That's a pretty good reason to trust somebody. Right? If Jesus is giving his resume, do you have any special skills? I can raise the dead. You're hired, right? If you need a reason to believe God, he can raise the dead. The second thing is he calls into, the, into existence the things that do not exist. We can build things and create things from the materials God's already made, but you can't make something out of nothing. And that's what we understand. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. It's the things that come out of the mind of God. He just spoke it. Worlds, animals, plants, humans. He just spoke it out of nothing. Those are good reasons to trust God. If he can raise the dead... If he can speak and a universe is created, we can trust him, right? God raises the dead. God created everything out of nothing. So that's, those are strong reasons. If we're going to accept God's promises by faith, do we have a good reason to do so? Yeah, he raises the dead. He makes everything out of nothing. 
The third point we see in here is that we, we see faith in action. What does it really mean to have faith? Is it just something you think? What does it really mean? And that gets in a little more into the story of Abraham. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. Like the stars of the sky. Hope against hope. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Anybody 100 years old thinking about parenting? You're like, whoa. That's where this was, right? He's, he was 100 years old. God promised him at age 75 that you're going to have a kid. 25 years later is when that promise comes due. So it was a long time it says, so not only was he considered his body as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That's literally, you might have a footnote, the deadness of her womb. Right? She was 10 years younger, so she's 90. But they've never been able to have kids, right? They've never had them. That's why I think it said hope against hope. I hope, I expect, I want to have kids, but why would I hope that? Because we never have been able to have kids, and it doesn't work anymore, and there's, you cross a certain age threshold, and it's impossible. It's already been impossible. So he's saying, this is a pretty big promise, right? You're going to have a child from your wife that you've never been able to have children before. You're 100, she's 90. And it said, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Here's what faith looks like. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was absolutely certain. We're just going to try to keep a PG or G rating on the service. But what does faith look like for Abraham when he says, you're going to have a child with your wife, even though you never have? What does faith in action look like? He continues to be intimate with his wife, even though it's never worked. Right? That's faith. It's not just an idea in his head. He actually continued. And saying, God says it's going to work. It's never worked our entire marriage. It really shouldn't work because we're at this age. And then it does work. It's a great story. It's worth reading. Because one of the times God visits and promises him to have a kid, Sarah laughs in the corner. She laughs. And then another time, Abraham laughs. He's like, this is, this is just ridiculous. They laugh. And so when the kid is born, God says, you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. So every day when you call your kid, that's right, I laughed at God's promise. Come here, laughter. You were right, right? That's just kind of God's sense of humor. But faith in action wasn't just something he thought in his head. That he actually physically continued knowing even though it's never worked, even though it's hope against hope, God said it's going to work one time, and it did. So that's faith in action. We actually put it into action. We keep believing when it doesn't make sense. We keep acting when it doesn't make sense. We keep praying when the prayer hasn't been answered yet. And as we saw the last three weeks when this room, I read a majority of those, and some of them are heavy and deep prayers that we had on post-it notes in here. And some of them are long prayers. You've been praying for a sibling a long time. You've been praying for your child a long time. You've been praying for things that the doctors say, well, that can't be healed. Well, I'm going to keep asking. 
It doesn't make sense. There's no earthly reason. Science doesn't tell you it works. Your experience doesn't tell you it works. But you say, I'm going to keep asking God. I'm going to keep trusting God. I'm going to keep following God. That's what it's going to look like. So we receive God's promises by faith. And there's good reasons for it, right? We saw that. He, he uh, raises the dead. He made everything out of nothing. He made a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old couple have a child. Not adopt a child, not surrogate, biologically had a child. That was God. And so we continue to trust him. And this fourth part here, this last part of the passage, he gives us some reasons for faith that are, that are more than what Abraham had. He gives us the, the picture of the gospel. So if we look here in Romans 4.23, it says, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. So he's saying this goes just beyond Abraham. He's saying Abraham's example of faith is our example of faith. Just as it was counted to him as righteousness when he believed God's promise, it will be counted to us as righteousness when we believe the promise that Jesus was raised from the dead. Right? It will be counted to us who believe in him. So we're not asked to believe that you'll have a kid when you're 90. We're asked to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, that Jesus is the eternal son of God. And when we believe that, that counts to us as righteousness. It goes to us. And this is, this verse 25 is the gospel in a short sentence. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the gospel. Jesus was given over for our sins. He, was, he went to that cross for our guilt, and he was raised from the dead for our justification. This is what we believe in. Abraham believed the promises of God that he would be, have a child and be the father of many nations. We believe the promises of God that he raised Jesus, forgiving our sins, and that we'll be raised with him forever. That's what we're believing. We're believing this. So the faith of Abraham is our faith. It's faith in action. And it's not empty, right? It's not made up. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. This is Paul writing there. He says, For I delivered to you as the of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. He appeared to this guy after he was killed. Then to the twelve, he appeared to his disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul's saying, you can talk to some of these people. They saw him alive. Then he appeared to James. That's his brother. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Asking you to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead is not made up stuff. It's rooted in the eyewitnesses' accounts of his followers, many of whom gave their life for that belief. So that's our reasons for faith. God raises the dead. He raised Jesus. God creates nothing, everything out of nothing. And he raised his son from the dead. And, and he's saying, I'm making these promises to you. This is an eyewitness promise of his resurrection. I will raise you from the dead when you have faith in me. That's our reason for faith is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That gives us a reason to trust God. If he says, I love you, you say, well, do I know that? Yeah, I died for you. 
and I rose again. So we receive God's promises by faith, not by earning them, not by being religious, and we have good reasons for it. But is it still hard? And you say, yeah, but I've felt let down before. I felt like I prayed for something and God did the other thing or did nothing. Or why did he make me born to that family? Why did I live through that circumstance? Anybody felt let down, discouraged? Like, I don't know. It sounds good, but your life experience is discouraging. So what do we do with that? I'm saying there's good reasons to trust God. And you might say, yeah, but just like you forgot your kid at the school, God forgot to answer this one prayer. Maybe that's your thing. So here's, here's how we deal with that in a couple ways. One, we have to trust God's ability to answer our prayers. We don't get to decide the timing, the way. But faith is first that we're trusting his ability to do so. This is in Paul's prayer in Ephesians. He's praying, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I'm coming in the middle of an argument here. But then he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So he's saying we need to know that God has immeasurable power towards us. What's it like? It's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So when you're praying to God, you need to know that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that he has and you're praying to him. That power is available. So we can't always, when you're praying, it's not a matter of, can God do this? Is he able to do the thing I'm asking? He's absolutely able. If he can raise Jesus from the dead and seat him in the heavenly places above every authority, then he can answer your prayer. He can answer your prayer. So that's the first thing we're saying. It doesn't feel like it's working. You just start with saying, I know you're able to do this thing. And the other part is we just trust God's goodness. I don't understand the answer. I don't know why it's taking so long. I don't know why it worked out that way, but I do know that God is good. So we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So it could very well be in your circumstance that you just haven't seen God work the end of it yet. Like right now it feels like the prayer is not answered. Right now it feels like the circumstance is out of place. But your story's not over. The chapter's not done. Your life's not up yet. And so you're saying, well, I'm just going to wait and see how you're going to work this for good because what you thought could be a disaster could actually be God preparing something bigger, better. And so that's where we turn with things like that. We receive God's promises by faith. We've got to trust him. And there's good reason to trust him. If you're going, well, I don't know if I have good reason. And I want you to trust in his ability and to trust in his goodness that he's still working it out. You just don't know it yet. It's still being put together. You just haven't seen it yet. There might be some circumstances that are actually ultimately better for you. You just don't see that side of it yet. And so we're going to wait. We're going to continue to trust him. And so today, here's some things you might take home. One is that you just start trusting him. That's for some of you. Might just, I just need to believe who you are and what you say. Some of you might be in like Abraham, the hope against hope. I'm going to keep believing you when there's no earthly reason to do so. 
There is no earthly reason. Nothing makes sense. I'm going to hope against hope. I'm going to just keep praying and following and trusting. Maybe some of your take home is to focus on the good things. You can start with, well, you raised Jesus from the dead and you call into things that aren't. But you might have personal things you could list. Oh, and there's that time you did this for me. And there's, there's the time you did that for me. And there's the time that you answered this prayer. And you begin to build your own reasons. Well, okay, I'm going to continue trusting you when this new thing is difficult. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promises to love us. We thank you that we can trust you with everything. Lord, I pray for those here who are hoping against hope. You just give them a continued ability to have faith. Lord, I pray for those who really have felt let down. They're discouraged. Would you just affirm your love for them and that you're still working those details out? Lord, and we thank you uh, around that tomb when everyone thought the Lord Jesus was dead and it was over. Hope against hope. And you raised him from the dead, giving us the foundation for hope. So help us believe you. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.